0: Good morning Hope Reformed Baptist Church. Are you overjoyed to be in the house of the Lord this morning? This fine Vision Sunday when we sort of look forward to what the Lord would have us do this year for his kingdom. If you're a visitor, we're very glad that you're here. If you're an unbeliever, we're very glad you're here. I was just pricked to the heart as we sung that, that final song. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. It with great pain that I remember the years that I spent in a Christian home, but outside of Christ as, as a rebel and a sinner, and just wondering if God would ever want to save me. Sure that he would not. And with such joy, I recall the day that God sealed these, these promises to my heart, that he receives sinners and rebels into his family and into his kingdom. So if that is you this morning, if you are in church, but outside of Jesus, If you are a church attender today but not a christian if you are here on a sunday morning but you will not be with us in heaven forever then may this be the day that you recall that jesus died for the likes of you that god is willing to receive somebody as rebellious and sinful and sick as you into his family because he died for you and rose for you Amen? amen well today i ask that you turn with me to exodus chapter 35 We are continuing our, our, uh, uh, I'll I'll say our series through Exodus, but I will not say our line-by-line exposition. The reason for that is that today our line-by-line passage is Exodus chapter 35 to Exodus chapter 39, the end thereof. Now, we're not going to read all of it together. Some of you are excited for that. Sorry to dismay you. You can do it at home as your children fall asleep. Uh, uh, We're not going to go line-by-line. Here's why. It is almost word for word, a repetition of previous chapters that we have already exposited and gone line by line through. There really is just a couple of main things that we'll pull out of it as we continue to also make application to ourselves. So we stand here on the precipice of, of the Israelites about to embark on and engage in one of the most significant moments Of their national history which becomes significant for us because their national history is our spiritual history we look back and they are they are players in God's redemptive purposes unfolding through history and so this is a significant uh, moment for us to look at as well they are about to having just entered into covenant a second time because remember they entered into covenant then broke that covenant by idolatry what God called spiritual adultery they cheated on him with a false God and and slept with that deity in that sense that's how God views idolatry and then God remade covenant with them through blood through promises he just reapplied that self-same covenant back to them graciously though they broke it and now he is about to fulfill all of the promises that he had made before they broke that first covenant Now he's going to bring those promises to pass, which is to dwell with them in their midst, not just up on Mount Sinai, to be kind of visibly manifest among them in the middle, literally in the the physical middle of the camp of the two million plus Israelite camp so that they can see and behold God is with us. He's going to be worshipable and accessible by anybody who brings sacrifice, though there will still be restriction in the sense that only certain people can go in, only at certain times, and nobody can come into the courtyard to worship God without a blood sacrifice. God is about to fulfill all of these promises, and it's going to be a tent, the tabernacle, instead of a stone building, because God is going to travel with them in that tabernacle. that gets folded up and repitched every time they move. He's going to go with them into the promised land, which he promised their forefather, Abraham. There is theolo- th- this is theology. There is history in these passages. It is both of them. It's not just theology based on a fable. It's real history. But it's not just history, it's theology that we can draw from. But also there is example today. And today being Vision Sunday, I want us to consider and think, how is this, this this Israelite generation and how how they gave to build the tabernacle, how is this in fact for us also an example for us as New Covenant Christians committed as a church to the advancement of the Great Commission? So our passage is chapter 35 verse 4 to chapter 39 verse 43 and while we usually go line by line uh, uh the reason we're doing it by such chunks is there's this there's this literary technique in the old testament exemplified here called divine command and fulfillment this is the the literary technique divine command and fulfillment we saw it happen actually on a smaller scale all the time with moses and now we're seeing it again in these chapters and basically what the literary technique is is this God commands something in like excruciating detail and then instead of just saying, so they did it as commanded, which could deal with these five chapters, a bunch of what, imagine how much cheaper the printing would have been, easier on the hand of describing Moses and all of that. It would have been if, and how much easier it is for us and our Bible reading plans if these five chapters were just condensed to, so they obeyed Moses. Much easier. Why doesn't he do that? Because what God is saying is not just that they did it. This literary technique is used in the ancient writing to emphasize they followed every line meticulously as they were told to do so. And as excruciating as it was to read it the first time, read it again to learn and realize and understand how serious God was about his commands. So so divine command is then repeated in fulfillment, and that shows us a couple of things. First of all, it shows us the exactitude and the importance of this building. This tabernacle was not one of their houses. It was not even a king's palace. It was God's own dwelling place. And he took so seriously how he was going to be worshipped that in just a few books time, somebody brings the wrong kind of flame to light a sacrifice with and they are consumed and killed. God took so seriously the worship in his own house and the building of it. That he therefore basically copy and paste these enormous lengthy chapters to make that point. It also makes a point of the obedience of the Israelites, because almost, with that exclusion, almost the only thing we've seen so far in the book of Exodus is divine command and disobedience. Divine command and disobedience. Divine command, and they're killed for their disobedience. And so, for this one time, it's a sort of a it's sort of a break in the pattern. And God makes this huge deal out of it, and He says, "Look, they did it exactly like I told them to. This is miraculous. This is a ama- They just worshipped a golden calf that they had the audacity to call Yahweh, and now they're back to their obedience unto Me as their covenant God. He's making a big point. They're learning somewhat. This obedience is worth taking a note of." as it is a very good example. But thirdly, this sort of divine command chapters followed by fulfillment chapters is a writing technique to tell us God is faithful, even in the greatest and in the littlest of things. God says all of these excruciating details, and then he doesn't just follow up by going, but you know, the Israelites, it was hard to do, so they whack together a tent and it'll do. He doesn't say that. He goes and says how excruciatingly obedient they were in every avenue to show us that god is faithful and what he promised to them which was him being among them in the tabernacle he was going to fulfill for them and through them that he's not just a faithful god to do things for us outside of us but that he also when when he makes conditions that are dependent upon us he even works in us to fulfill those conditions and so god is a faithful God who will net not, who will not let His promises of this tabernacle fall flat in such a, a uh, rebellious generation. God is faithful, and I say all of this and sort of bring us to this example of Exodus thirty-five through thirty-nine today, because we are a church that is immensely blessed by the Lord. This church—I'm talking like local church now. This church, Hope Reformed Baptist Church, is, and we have to say it lest we ever get self-important or, or self-impressed or think we deserve something glorious we are blessed by God's grace and God's grace alone not only because we're born in Australia with amazing freedoms and enormous opportunities. We, 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 we're born into this country. That alone is amazing. Uh, not Some of us not even born here, but, but, but brought here some other means. What a blessing. We have this extraordinary wealth where we're in the top few percentage of the entire world, even the poorest among us, just by merit of being around here. Not only are we that, but we're also in the 21st century. Think of time. We're in the 21st century where our life expectancy is 30 years longer than people living in this same country 200 years ago. Imagine, 30 more years of productive labor for Jesus. Some of you are saved after the age of 45. You're lucky you were born. You are blessed by God. You were born in this generation, not when the average life expectancy was 40-something, if you made it out of infanthood. So we have so much to be thankful for, just on those broad categories, but by God's grace, we are growing as God brings more people to hear the Word, more people to get busy in serving each other, and more busy to sort of serve the mission and kingdom purposes of this church. Eighteen um, percent of just to put us into a little bit of a perspective uh, of the of the immensity of God's blessings to us. Eighteen percent of churches in Australia, by one study I read, eighteen percent of churches grew. By 10% over five years. 18%, so less than one in five churches, grew by 10% over a five year period. That means if they're a church of 50, they were 50, if they're a church of 50 in 2019, today they're a church of 55. One in five churches in Australia met that benchmark, the rest shrunk or stayed the same. In the last five years, we have grown by over 800% by whatever counting metric you use. 96% of churches in Australia are less than 150 people. We are therefore in the top 4% of sizes of churches, right? We don't have gold running out of these air conditioners, we don't have all sorts of things that other people, and yet, this is the top 4% of churches in Australia because we're in a dry and arid land god is blessing us in such amazing and immense ways jesus keeps on saving people and we're gonna have more baptisms next week praise the lord we are set by the end of march to have more baptisms this year than we did all of last year and it's only february there's some of you that still need to get baptized there's a couple of you that are yet to get saved by the end of march and will baptize you but that's all in the lord's hands he keeps on don't even bother counting the weddings and the babies you'll lose count 99, hear this, 99.25% of churches did not plant another church since the year 2019, 99.25% of churches, that means 0.75% of churches have planted a church in or since 2019, by God's grace. We together have been able to labor, establish, and then make independent and see thrive, by the way, a a church plant down on the Gold Coast in the heart and the belly of the beast, a modern day spiritual Ephesus, if you know your, your book of Acts. Praise the Lord for your prayers, your giving, and your labor. Some of you still go down every now and then in voluntary service to that church, which is not even your own local church. We are a church amazingly blessed by God in a better sense then, but in a similar sense to the Israelites in Egypt. and this is the mindset we're getting into is the Israelites are standing there at the foot of Mount Sinai, about to build everything, having been spared their life, having been saved through Egypt slavery, Red Sea salvation, the perils of the desert, the the, the, the hunger and the thirst God has been miraculously meeting, and they are there for and, and then they broke a covenant, so deserve to die again, and God mercifully spared them, entered into covenant, and now they stand here as this generation that has been spared much, that have been saved from much, that have been forgiven much. And what we see in 35 to 39 is this right response to God's grace through the willing giving of self to God's purpose and mission in the Israelite purpose. That's what we see a blessed people respond in thanksgiving and not just thanks but the giving of self and resources for the sake of god's purpose through them each one of us have been saved from our sin the church on the whole we have been rescued through many toils and snares across our history wolves and enemies we've been gifted with amazing people who serve, who give much, who labor, unreal opportunities, and an undying, unfading, unbeatable, powerful gospel. It's what God has given to us. And it wasn't for nothing. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I refuse to believe that the reason God saved us from wolves, enemies, financial collapse, closure during COVID, a shrinkage like 90% of churches, a failure, a moral failure in leadership. He has saved us from these things, given us the gospel and amazing people. Why? So that more might hear the gospel, be brought to us, saved, deployed, more churches planted, more pastors trained, more souls saved, more glory to God. That's the reason. Not so that we can sit and, 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 and rub hands and be thankful and, and twiddle thumbs and look back and tell great stories of one or two cool things that happened, but my friends, so that we might go on and serve the Lord God, proclaiming the gospel, not being ashamed of it, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. And He's given this this enormous canon of the gospel. And as a church we're sort of in this very strategic position on top of a rampart looking down on the enemy we're holding the fuse one guy's got the torch next question is what do we do what do we do we let it rip we we blow the enemy to smithereens we march on the gate that's what we do that's what the church ought to do that's the mindset each of us need to be in the question becomes and i want to ask you what has god brought you here for what's god brought you to hope church for If you don't know Jesus savingly, then the reason God has brought you here is so that you might mingle with people who know him, and who can point to him and say, you need Jesus. Jesus loved you, gave himself for you, Jesus died so that your sins can be forgiven. You need Jesus, you're not too lost. That's why you're here. To hear the gospel and be saved we love you we we know that god loves you and gave his son to pay for all of your sins you don't have to worry about how bad your sins are they had they were terrible worse than you know but they've been punished and paid for by jesus and then he rose from the dead to with open arms welcome you into a kingdom that cannot be shaken and into a righteous standing before god that is unchanging and unwavering if you're not a christian that's why you're here so that you can get saved If you are a Christian, if you know Jesus, then the reason you're here is to to be involved in some way. Start serving. Start finding some way where the church's needs and your abilities somehow interlap and get busy. To be trained up. To acquire skills. To uh, 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 realize a calling. To recognize a gifting. So that you don't bury your talents like, like the man in the parable that Jesus told it wasn't horrible to invest and then lose some on investment it was horrible in that parable to take what God had given bury it and say I won't lose anything I I fear and I pray against that ever happening to anybody in in our congregation I don't want that so 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 be investing be trained up so that you can serve Jesus be generous so that God though he can miraculously do anything most of the time most of the time, though he can miraculously do anything, most of the time in the church, the way that he builds his new covenant tabernacle, the church, the way that he most usually builds and thrives and pushes forward the kingdom of Jesus Christ is through the labor and generosity of the saints. So we're going back to the text and we'll make some very simple observations and then bring home some very important applications. So look at chapter 35 verse four and five reads like this moses said to the congregation of the people of israel this is the thing that the lord has commanded take from among you a contribution to the lord whoever is of a generous heart let him bring the lord's contribution gold silver bronze and he just list everything else that was needed the 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 linen the stones the wood the leather everything that's needed as we've been commanded for the congregation and this is to fulfill exodus 25 when moses was told to tell the people of israel this and then in chapter 35 verse 20 and following then all the congregation of the people of israel departed from the presence of moses that's what usually happens pastor gets up and says give give and then everybody goes home and uh, runs away right that's that's what should happen most of the other of time in those prosperity churches right not here here's what they do they go home verse 21 and then they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments so they came both men and women all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and amulets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Verse 29 says, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Gold, stone, wood, yarn, wool, whatever else I didn't say, leather, the whole lot of it. It was all brought in. And we look at this and realize, why didn't God just do a miracle? Like, he's the God of miracles. He kind of just unzipped the Red Sea at one point. He did just send a miraculous amount of uh, blood into the waterways of Egypt. Like, he's done this before. He gave them, he's still presently, there's an enormous rock just standing to the south a little bit of Mount Sinai that is currently gushing forth water for the millions of people to drink. They are still eating day by day bread that is falling out of heaven he's not a god that is shy of miracles to provide needs however this the building of the tabernacle he entrusted to the free will giving of the israelites he he he, he even though it was his own dwelling you'd think well that's he, he'd use heavenly gold for that no he takes egyptian gold that was looted by the israelites on the way out of Egypt. That are now carried into the desert so none of them can say well you know i kind of earned this stuff this was my my earnings no i told you to grab it out of the people's houses as you ran from egypt so they've owned it all of like six months still they will try and try and uh, 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 hassle god to keep more of it will they no they don't they just give they give freely this is how god ordained that his tabernacle would be built from the free will giving of the people <laughs> he's not in short supply but He works in the heart of the people to give. Now, they they give a free will offering. What is this? This is when everybody became Calvinists. And they came and gave up their free will. And so now they all believe in... Really funny. All right, moving on. So the free will offering is a non-prescribed offering. In other words, they didn't go home and they get commanded by Moses, 10% of your first fruits, 20% of your yearly harvest. He wasn't told that. They were simply told, go home, count what you have. And as much as the Lord stirs in your own heart if you want to give don't give if you don't want to give I love this get get out of here give nothing if you don't want to but if the Lord stirs so in your heart then come and give freely of all that God has blessed you with in other words when it says all that those whose hearts moved him we could otherwise rephrase it like this each person in Israel gave in proportion to how highly they valued god's presence in the tabernacle that's what they did they went home they saw gold silver stolen wool yarn amazing coats that the egyptians gave them swords spears brass shields and then they considered god living in their midst in the tabernacle and jesus tells us where our treasure is that's where our heart is you know where your heart is most invested find where you put most of your money and refuse to take away from So, here they go. They have here's my riches, here's the tabernacle. The simple reading of the text is that in as much as they valued God's presence in their midst is how much they gave and whether they gave. We could think maybe there were some that didn't give. But in fact, the text says two things. Only those who wanted to give gave and every man of the household gave. Every household in the entire nation had somebody in their midst taking the family's goods, the savings, the gold, grandma's earrings, bringing it forward to the the leadership and saying, let us build this tabernacle that God might be in our midst. How much is it worth to you, O Israel, that God would dwell in our midst? This much. So much that they all freely gave. So we can come back to the question. Why didn't God just build this through a miracle? I want to say he did the miracle I could make a Jewish joke but that would be inappropriate the miracle of sinful human beings who just worshiped an idol who didn't want to go and serve Moses because it took away from their God this sinful people valued the presence of God in their midst so much that they let go of earthly treasures that is the miracle a miracle that God worked not for the people but in the people not outside of the people, but through the people. It was a miracle that came from God, but was worked through the Israelites, and it wasn't just money. So look at verse 10 of chapter 35. It was not just funds and money and resources and materials that were given, but also trades, labors, and skills. Verse 10 says, Let every skillful craftsman among you who uh, uh, come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So, so it was not just everybody give and then God will forge it. He also said, now the skillful laborers come forward that you might be used of God to build the tabernacle. Even the chisel strokes were going to be human chisel strokes. The, the carvings and the, the welding was all going to be human done for God. He specifically called Bezalel and Aholiab, who were the chief builders. Look at chapter 35, verse 30. Chapter 5, verse 30. See... The Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze. And he has inspired him and Aholiab to teach. So that is, they were also tasked with training other men for the work. Verse One of chapter 36. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So we see that God gave them skill, trades, craft and intelligence and wisdom by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building the kingdom. God has so interwoven his purposes and his people saved by grace that he refuses to build his tabernacle without the voluntary contribution of funds and labor. God has so interwoven his purposes in the world and the people that he has saved that he refuses to build his tabernacle without the free will offering of funds and labor From the people that he has saved and so the miracle will say again takes place here that he stirs people's hearts to prioritize God's glory in the world more than their creature comforts God has stirred in their hearts to desire God's purposes and mission in the world more than their private ambitions God gave a gifting and an equipment to the people so that God's work can be undertaken by human hands. God involves us in his mission in a real and substantial ways and practical ways so that we might share in his joy and be pulled from this world's lures. It's still the same today. God has so designed his own mission in the world that a church that is not intentionally focused on the mission, intentionally committed to the mission, intentionally being weaned from the world's creatures comforts to serve god in the great commission preaching christ planting churches training pastors rinse and repeat until the world ends if they're not intentionally focused on that and appreciate that as one of many things that the church does we also throw great parties hold great tupperware afternoons uh, have a great children's program for you know people who come and have coffee and biscuits and uh we we, we 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 donate soup to the to the town center and we and we and we do any other thing none of them necessarily bad but where the great commission is one of many things that church is not committed and focused the way that god demands her to be and god has so designed history that the purpose of God and the natural state of the world and culture are so against each other that you can't float into productivity in the Great Commission you can't drift easily and just find yourself with many rewards in heaven many souls won, and the church taking ground the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other the uh, heaven and the world are pulling the church in opposite directions the mission of God and the lures of this life, riches, reputation, glory, sin, they are opposed to each other so that the church and every church must with commitment and drive push herself to the purposes of God or she will drift along with the current of the world. This is why a worldly church has no effect on the world. It is infiltrated by the world, but a holy church, a truly spiritual church, a biblical church, a gospel preaching church, will see God do extraordinary things through them and will be taking ground constantly. Again, why doesn't God just save everybody through a miracle? He does. We were all sinners, dead. He raised us to life and forgave us. We were all weak and unable and insufficient. And He gave us the Holy Spirit to be able to do New Testament, New Covenant, Gospel ministry and pluck souls from the burning into God's glorious light. He has taken us normally, ordinarily, naturally selfish, inwardly turned. He makes us missional, motivated, zealous. He makes us stingy, selfish, covetous, and He turns us into people who are generous, who love to see others come to know Jesus, who love to see others walking in the sweetness of freedom that is brought by the biblical text being explained and understood by a people called the church this is how god does his miracles in and through us for us sometimes praise god amazing things he does miracles for us outside of us that we see we behold we say wow where did that come from But also in the New Testament, we see that one of his grand miracles, his most ordinary miracle, his every day, every Sunday, week in, week out, every church miracle, even the cessationist churches get this miracle. It's that the people of God are stirred up to works and good deeds and building of the kingdom of Christ. Psalm 110 verse 3. It's a psalm prophesying Jesus being made king by God the Father. Being resurrected after finishing his priestly work and sitting down in his kingly office to rule over the cosmos for all of history, to save his people. And Psalm 110, verse 3 promises the Son, Your people will be made willing in the day of your power to offer themselves to you in holy garments. This is the promise that the Father makes to the Son I know I'm about to crush you with their sin, but when you are raised, Your people will come to you through the gospel. They will serve you as king. I know that you are now dead in the grave. I will raise you. Your people will come to you as a shepherd from every nation. They will serve you as their king. I know that you stand here in heaven at my right hand. I know that there is only 12 fledgling disciples. I know that the other hundred are fairly weak themselves. I know that there's a Roman empire and a fierce devil prowling to snuff them out. I promise you. Your people, still lost in sin, will hear the gospel, rise. When you are lifted up in preaching, you will draw all men to yourself. The people of you will offer themselves freely to you in holy garments in the day of your power. The day of Christ's power is now. He is resurrected, He is sitting in heaven, and we are His people being called to offer ourselves freely to Him. He works in us. The will, the heart, the desire, the stirring to be used by God for the sake of the kingdom. So I say this as a pastor every now and then. I want you, this is part of my my ministry mindset. I want to labor in such a way with the other elders so that every one of you have the greatest and the best possible judgment day when you see Jesus. Because every single one of us will be given rewards for labor will be given back, Jesus says, a hundredfold for everything sacrificed. We will never regret a single day, hour, dollar spent for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is going to multiply it to us in the world to come. Everybody will have a tremendous judgment day, a joy-filled judgment day, if we have lived this life in self-sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. I don't want any of you to have the day on judgment day that 1 Corinthians 3 talks about. That you're there and you're saved and Jesus has forgiven you and you'll be in heaven and glory forever and ever and ever, world without end. But you have on that day a sense of regret for the neglect of Christ's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3 says that Jesus will light a match to everything we built in this life. And if what we built with was boat, extra house, uh, holiday money, reputation, ambition, worldly pursuits, It will all burn. The only thing that will be left is Christ, which is the foundation. But if we built with spiritual disciplines, self-sacrifice, prioritizing the kingdom, he will light it, it will burn, and it just comes out even more shining, worthy of reward, because it's precious stones and gold and, and silver. That's what I want. I want every person in this congregation and the many that come, remember, when I was preaching Vision Sundays two or three years ago, 80% of you were not here. You with the other people, but I was telling the 40 people, we need to labor, build, pray, serve, because there's people that need a church, there's people that need Jesus, there's people that need to be sent, there's idle people that need to be exhorted, there's broken marriages that need to be pastored, there's young people that are just wasting their time that need to come and be set on the mission of God. There's 40 of us here, So one day, there'll be more of us, and this is where we are, there's more now. You were the others. Now I'm simply saying, turn also and say, there are yet still others. Dead in sin, struggling in ignorance, uh, swayed by the world in in heretical or ignorant uh, places of worship. And they, they need you to bring them to Christ, to show them the word, to bring them here, be built up by the Spirit, made willing and sent out for the sake of the kingdom. We don't know how many others the Lord might save through us, but that's just the point. We don't know how many others the Lord might save through our labors, prayers, preaching and giving. We don't know how many other churches we might plant before we're all dead and forgotten. But we know this. I know there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of, and it's good talk, of building for the next generation. You know, maybe it's not us, but maybe the future generation will really take the world by storm with the gospel. That's good and well, and I pray for that. But the next generation will be too late for the billions that will already be dead from our generation. No one can reach them except for us now. There are so many, there's hundreds of thousands in this city that just don't know Jesus. And I pray for the day that there's a hundred great gospel preaching churches in Logan and Brisbane going up and down all over the coast and into the regional areas. I pray for that. I hope for that. But if we leave it for the next generation only with that mindset, our generation goes to hell. They burn. And our labor needs to be, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. And hasn't he done just amazing things? Why would we say this is enough? Why do we stand and say this is this is pretty good? hand up, filled the room out. What else do we do? Sit and remember? No. Plan, pray, and move forward. Advance in the kingdom. I say all of this in the sense that, not to be too literalistic, out of the tabernacle to the church. Right? Uh, it's not as if we need more gold on this building. So bring in your grandma's earrings and your heirloom jewelry. Because if we push that hard enough, I've got to wear a turban and a dress. I'm not keen just not keen at all uh, <clears throat> some of you have requested it it's weird repent for that and we're not doing that uh, so we can't be too literalistic let me say this the New Testament version of the physical tabernacle is not this physical building The new testament version of the old covenant tabernacle is the people of god who are like spiritual stones being added into the glorious invisible in a sense spiritual temple ephesians 2 says that we are being built into a dwelling place for god by the spirit a holy temple in the lord 1 Peter 2 says that you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the language of Moses and Exodus. You're a priesthood. We're a common priesthood. We are a temple and we ought to find the stones that are still lost in sin, buried under the sands of iniquity, and bring them and add them to the church where the Israelites were called to sacrifice, to build a tabernacle, we are called more so under a greater leader, Jesus, to build with far greater joy and faith and hope and expectation to sacrifice so that we can build the church up. So here's here's a sense of vision. Uh, and i say that in a super boring reformed way i didn't download anything haven't received anything from the spirit realm i just read the bible talk with the elders look at our look at our current state and go vision in my terms really just means plan but it just feels way more spiritual to say vision so here's our vision for 2024 you with me amen hallelujah somebody speaking in tongues there we go Uh, (laughs) it's incumbent on every church to know how we're going to engage in the great commission because every church is going somewhere Yo, we don't need vision, we just need Bible. Okay, Every church is going somewhere. The question is, do the leaders know where they're going? Do they have a plan for the people? Have they communicated to the people? Do they have reasons for thinking about this plan? Because 90% of churches, as we've seen, will be the same size or smaller in five years, with no baptisms. So, are we thinking, praying, planning, and then engaging together so that we have a unity around the same purpose? The answer must be yes. Broadly, here's our plan. Become a grow continue to be a growing gospel preaching church that evangelizes the lost plants more churches trains up men here and abroad in other nations amen hallelujah but that's super broad let's put some feet on the ground in terms of that last one abroad world missions let me tell you that uh, it's it's mostly american data but they do include some global ones on average there's about six percent of all of the church right all evangelicalism They sort of tabulate the total giving of the whole global church in tithes and and missions and it averages out to about 1.8% of the income of the church is offered so if you give and tithe uh, uh, I use tithe briefly if you give a freewill offering and contribute you're in like the 99% don't be one of the 1.8% but of that 1.8% of all of the church's income that goes towards the church six percent of it goes to missions and then 1.7 percent of that goes to the unreached so six percent of it goes outside of the church to another country and of that six percent actually 98.3 percent of it is going to nations that already have thriving churches and evangelical bases only 1.7 of that Uh, goes towards unreached people groups. In other words, nations, tribes, languages that don't have the gospel or don't have multiplying churches among them. Less than 2% of their population are Christian. As a church, however, where if we take the total giving of the global church, 0.1%, so a tenth of a percent, goes towards the unreached people groups. As a church, by God's grace, we give somewhere between 15 and 18% of our monthly giving goes towards missions in unreached people groups. That is 170 times the average, by God's grace. There's a a family that's over there. You would have met them when they were over here, if you were here then. Um, uh, They're a full-time family over there in Nepal, preaching the gospel, planting churches, training pastors all over the country in an unreached people group. Praise the Lord. And that's not actually including all of the trips that we make, mission trips, which I invite you on. Somebody asked me recently, what's the, what's the cutoff like, requirement to be able to go on a mission trip? I'm like, well, if it's too small, we have to take the crimp of the crop. But Basically, it's this, be a Christian. That's it. Come with us. Take, take the gospel to the ends of the world. God will provide the funding, I'm sure. So we go to Nepal in March, Solomon Islands this year, maybe some other areas, but we're going to unreached, heathen areas for the glory of god we want to be this is part of my prayer and vision that as a church when we look back on this in heaven we look back on history there will be whole tribes of people that are currently in 2024 not represented in heaven because none of their people are dying and going to heaven after hearing the gospel in their life but there will be those people represented in heaven the elect of god from before all ages and the instrument that god used to bring the gospel to that tribe is the saints of hope reform baptist church i want that for us i want us to like john g payton said who went to vanuatu as a missionary he says a whole life is worth horrible unimaginable suffering if there is one soul plucked from hell put in heaven who for endless ages you'll get to look at and see your name inscribed on the little bottom stone how they came to jesus john g payton that's the kind of glory and reward god wants to give and it comes at obviously great cost moving on uh, Home missions, we've spoken about abroad missions, home missions, Australia is a very dry, arid place spiritually, it really is. And we saw that with the statistics as we opened up, but nonetheless, I remember actually Samuel Lee, Samuel Lay, I don't know how you pronounce it, was a, was the second pastor ever on in Australia. Uh, the, the, the English sent their convicts and their wardens and he came over and he was second after Richard Johnson and he just had the worst time in the world. Literally prayed that God would stop giving him, su- that he would stop having suicidal thoughts because he hated being here so much, but he labored on for the sake of the gospel he actually had mission trips and went to new zealand and he found that the maori people were more open to the gospel than the australian indigenous in his experience just in his time but more the heathen maori people were more keen to hear the gospel than the so-called christian english people they hated religion they were here as slaves convicts really you know basically slaves they were here as enemies of the crown they don't care And that mindset has just continued on through the generations. Here at the end of the world, not here for Jesus, but Australia belongs to Jesus. He bought her by his blood and she will confess him as Lord sooner or later. We need to labor to see that the case. In regional ministry, where we're going into sort of, uh, we've got plans to go into outback parts of Australia, do evangelism, maybe church planning, uh, pastor training, conferences, prayer meetings, things like that. Uh, join us, take, go there with us. Uh, in Australia, we have churches without pastors all over the place. We have Christians who have no church within a four-hour drive, and we have a lot of towns without any gospel-knowing Christians at all. We basically have unreached groups and towns within the Australian borders. So our plans are to do trips and ministry in those areas. Evangelism, also in our home missions, evangelism around here, we have organized street preaching, tracting and evangelism. But on the other side of that, not just organized groups who go out, please join. What do you need to do to be an evangelist? Just be a Christian. Mumble, fumble your way through it. You'll be a heretic here and there. That doesn't matter. You'll have a good Christian next to you, helping you, going, and you'll be an evangelist in no time. But not just organized groups, also organically, individuals. You, you have legs and hands and a street. You have a mission field. Take some tracks. My, our prayer is that we hand out 50,000 gospel tracks in our neighborhoods and cities in 2024. I think we're up to about 3,000. We have a while to go. Please join. Please help get the gospel out we have stand firm conference in july where we team up with other churches come together and our theme this year is revival in australia we're not one of those churches who thinks we call the conference revival so it's ah revival that's not how it works turn the lights down lots of music say jesus name a bunch of times it'll be a revival no we're learning about revival we're learning the history of australia's revival and the need of australian revival in our day We have church planting now the paul's methods if if you're new to this church and the way we do things paul's method was this arrive somewhere with a companion preach the gospel enough people get saved four five or six hundred turn them into a church set some rulers over them and go to the next town that's paul's modus operandi that's how we do it send someone they preach wait for people to amass that they can call a church and then we make it independent the what we don't do like, I mean, by God's grace, we had a church plant uh, that became independent last year, and our, uh, to, uh, uh, back in 2021, I told everybody our plan and prayer: five church plants in 10 years. I understand how dismally low that bar is now forgive me for my faithlessness but yet let us see god do it five churches within 10 years that's 2031 we want to see uh, uh, around our area who knows where but god is good we're training up people for the purpose of that we do not believe in church splants what's a splant that's a split plant when you get too big for a building and go, well, you guys over here, or if your birthday begins uh, is in the first six months of the year, or everybody draw a straw, or if you're blonde or something like that, you're gonna go out and uh, plant a church. That's not a plant. That's soaring a tree in half and replanting it somewhere else. That's a forced church split. It's meant to be accidental. You don't split and then replant. You take a seed off the tree of the gospel go put it in the ground and see that bear fruit that's how we do pauline new testament church planning we pray to do more so in the future then the question becomes okay if we don't believe in church splits what are we going to do here because we do understand people keep asking we are outgrowing this space in fact i'll say we've been outgrowing it for a while a lot of people come and a full room packed to the back is really hard on new people it can get awkward where do we sit It's also really hard on young families, kids, people uh, with uh, mobility issues, things like that. But anyway, we're outgrowing this space, obviously, because healthy living things grow. And so we grow by God's grace. Now, the worst reaction is too many people liked it when we were 40. No. Bad reaction, no, I haven't heard any of that. But that would be bad. Another bad reaction would be, that's enough. We're done. We filled the room. there there we are mission accomplished bad reaction correct reaction is if God sends us more people lost people who need to be saved confused people who need teaching idle people who need mission unchurched people who need a community struggling people who need shepherding then we need to do it is incumbent on us to do what we can to accommodate God's leading in this way we want to be found faithful so our mindset is and, and the mindset I think about this, we, you don't, in a war, you don't turn away patients because you don't have enough tents. You put up more medic tents. In a war, you don't turn away soldiers because you got full boats. You kick some of the guys out of the boat, you get them to cut down trees and make more boats. You want more soldiers in the army. As far as the church goes, we should not say that's enough, full room, we're done, rather, uh, Our plan is what we plan to do. Thirty-first of March is going to be another baptism service. Praise the Lord! It is also Easter Sunday. Praise the Lord! Great day to have some baptisms. It will also be, Lord willing, our last service, our last Sunday where we only have two services on a Sunday. What we're going to do is shuffle to a eight-thirty service and a ten-thirty service. And what that's going to look like is uh, the exact same service, mirror image of each other. Not to give another service for everyone. We're going back to Puritan Ages here, three Sunday services. Rather, basically two services morning, evening, morning sermon, evening sermon, but the morning will be uh, uh, just done twice, people serving double and all of that, people are um, amazing in their their volunteering, but so that we can just create some room in the buildings to be able to allow more people to come, be trained, and then eventually uh, we'll have enough offerings, contributions, earrings, brooches, and yarn to be able to either buy the block next door and knock it down, or and, and extend or buy somewhere else or rent somewhere else or move to a bigger space we don't know what the Lord has in store for us but we know that he can do anything what we can't do is just snap our fingers and have a bigger place or snap our fingers and have the money for a bigger place so we do what we can we're going to go two services in morning allow more people to come and also we'll get into this in the members meeting next week we're going to start a building fund it's already up people are already giving in order to see what the lord would do with the contributions we have now we don't know what god will do or what he could do but i want to reiterate that's not our question Faithfulness, faithfulness asks relying on god what can we do he could he could speak another universe into existence it's not really our question the question is what is he leading you to do not what miracles could he do for us but what miracle might he work in us by making us generous generous zealous committed prioritizing of the value of the kingdom of Christ in our midst and the advancement of the church in the world so my question to you is this where has God blessed you because however you answer that question is this is the answer to the question how does God want you to build the kingdom Wherever area God has massively blessed you in, great. That's how he wants you to be building the kingdom. So if it's in the area of wealth and finances and money, then giving mission funds to, in order to uh, uh, fund the mission. We think of the Reformation, and we always think of Martin Luther. Hoorah. However, Luther would not have been able to print, write, study, or be protected if it wasn't for the funds that were given to him by Frederick, the other guy that we hear less about. We think of Luke and Paul in the book of Acts we don't hear so much about is Theophilus, the guy who gave money to be able to fund their mission, thank you, gospel throughout the Gentile worlds. Maybe you have administrative abilities. Give of your, as the text said, the spirit of intelligence and skill and wisdom. If you have practical needs and availability, then your your, your, uh, giving could look like hospitality, feeding people here on a Sunday, or hosting a Bible study in your home, or meeting people's needs through food and clothing. Maybe your gifting is the area of trade or engineering training. We might need to build a building. And if you don't do it, I'm going to, it's going to happen. And if I do it. This has fallen down on top of the front row in the first meeting. So you come one and come all. Uh, if your calling is to serve God vocationally, missionary, pastor, elder, then make yourself known so that you can be developed and trained. And yes, it's difficult. If you have arms, legs, and a street, like we said, then you have a mission field. Take a lot of tracks and try to empty them into letterboxes and in people's hands that so the gospel might go forward. I pray for 2024, an experience that mirrors. Moses in Exodus chapter 36 the next chapter over in verse 3 and following The people verse, chapter 36 verse 3 the people kept bringing him free will offerings Every morning so that the craftsman now remember Moses is not this For them Moses is their senior pastor In the New Testament the senior pastor is not Moses Jesus is the one called the chief shepherd, which literally translated is senior pastor. Jesus is Moses, right? The eldership is not Moses in this, just so we're clear. Somebody tries to tell you that for their private jet or something like that, that's not the application. We're bringing offering to Jesus like they were bringing it to Moses. Moses served over the old covenant house as a servant. Jesus is over the house as a son. Let's keep reading. They kept bringing to him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each one from his task that he was doing and said to moses the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the lord has commanded us to do so moses had to give the command and the word was proclaimed throughout the whole camp let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution to the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing they were kept back by the deacons go home take your money we can't have anywhere to store any more of this gold So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. What a generous people. But the tabernacle was a limited, finite, physical space. It had limitations. The church of God is the boundless and enormous elect of God throughout all ages. We're never going to get to the point where we say, that's enough, stop giving, all good, cap it off at 10% for the year, go home. We don't stop bringing in our our funds, our skills, our services, our whole selves, our prayers for the sake of the mission of the church. We don't stop doing these. And even if we're empty handed in the face of an enemy, then we just pray for a miracle like Israel did and God will do something like splitting the Red Sea. Like We can rely on a miracle when we have literally nothing else to do on our end or there's nothing that we might do. But while there is something for us to do, we give of ourselves, we give of our money, we give of our skills. Nothing shall stand in the way of God's triumphant gospel, not even the black gates of hell itself. There's this great line by an author named Chesterton. He says this, The one perfectly divine thing, the one glimpse of God's paradise given on earth is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. That's church history fighting constantly a losing battle and not losing it. So I'm going to pray just over a year to come. The the hands that are here, the hearts that are here, the funds that are given, the, the prayers that we make. I'll just ask you to stand as I read to close out Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I Am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray Father God, we thank you for a mighty captain leader saviour prophet priest and King such as Jesus who Hebrews tells us is counted as being worthy of more glory than Moses And if under his leadership, these rebellious people were so spurred and stirred and turned in order to be generous for the sake of an earthly tabernacle, would you stir us under the leadership, the ministry, the mediation, the love and the power of our captain, Jesus Christ, of our head and savior and king, Jesus Christ? Would you stir us to generosity? To sacrifice to zealous toil and Lord God to expectation please remove from us distraction which we so frequently every one of us feel that the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the Great Commission so often slip into second place and then slide on down to a hundredth place in our priorities Lord God please keep us focused please keep us unified Lord God as a church that loves you loves one another and loves the lost unified and and working together on the mission that christ puts before us make us faithful lord god that each one of us would not compare with who else we we rate up against or what other people think of us but merely think what has christ given me and in my own heart before him with my own family we will serve the lord and give and do and serve as you have so stirred within our own hearts i pray lord god also that anybody here who does not know jesus as their savior would receive faith in him now not be one of the lost who die in their sin and go to hell but be one of the found who give their faith to jesus who receive his death in their place and who earn an inheritance in heaven forever because of what jesus did for them father god would you continue to extend our borders and give more people to be baptized after being saved, would you give us people to, to train up to be pastors over these church plants we labor to see done? Would you send revival and a breath of your spirit over this land and country that it would be a majority Christian, Christ-honoring and serving country, but whatever the odds we are put up against, Lord, you are faithful. We are yours, and we trust you with it all. Thank you for being with us even to the very end of this age despite the losing battle that it seems to be. God, we pray all of this in the name of Christ and thank you for your mercy in him. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.